There are plenty of places to make a difference, to volunteer in your professional life, to exert leadership, to explore leadership, and to make a difference. Please don't give up on that world that we're, we're both really worried about, that world of politics, particularly at the national level, because it does matter. Our, our standing in the world is important in, in an enlightened self-interest. It's time once again to learn from the past and explore the future. Welcome to the Leadership Frontiers podcast with your hosts, Ron Duran Jr. and myself, Tara O'Brien. In compelling discussions, we'll dig deep into leadership topics within business, education, nonprofits, the public sector, social justice, and wherever we may find it. Brought to you by the University of Colorado Boulder's Center for Leadership, thanks for joining us. We are so thrilled to have former Colorado Senator and extreme adventurist Mark Udall with us on the show today. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Mark. Um, you know, you've been out of office for a little over six years now, I think it's been. We want to know what you have been up to. What have you been doing? I know you're involved with the University of Colorado, which we'll talk about. I know you're big into the outdoors, uh, so we're going to talk about that a little bit later and kind of your thought process on the future of leadership uh, in the world in general, especially for our CU students. But tell us first, like, what have you been up to for the last uh, half a decade and uh, what does that look like? Taryn, Ron, it's great to be with you. And I'm really looking forward to just sharing my perspectives and hearing yours and, and promoting the whole world of leadership and the, the exciting possibilities that have always been in that world. You know, I had an 18-year uh, public service career, and, and I loved it. I loved representing District 13 in Colorado in the, in the Boulder County area, and then I had a chance to serve in the U.S. House representing the 2nd District, uh, which was an amazing district. Half the ski areas, the town of, of Boulder, the University of Colorado, but and, and all the surrounding suburbs. Uh, and then I was a United States Senator from Colorado, and boy, what a state to represent. It's so diverse geographically, economically, uh, various uh, cultures around the state. And, and I loved it. I, being a senator, I got to indulge my curiosity on behalf of the people of Colorado and, frankly, the United States. I took the United States and my title really seriously uh, and had, a, I believe, a commitment and responsibility to think about the United States of America and this wonderful country in which we're, we're all fortunate to live. When I left office, uh, I, I, I didn't leave on my own volition voters. And 14 said, we think the other guy might do a better job. And that, that stung. But as I stepped back, I thought, you know, boy, I'm, I'm still pretty healthy. I'm in my early 60s. My friends and family were, were some of the people that I didn't get to spend the kind of time with when I was in public service. So I've been able to reconnect on many of those fronts. Uh, and as we'll find out more in the podcast, had a great uh, career, both vocationally and avocationally in, in the out of doors and adventures. Uh, for example, uh, walked about 600 miles in a big loop across southern Utah and northern Arizona in 2016. So some of the wildest country left in, in the lower 48. I've been doing a number of sea kayaking voyages down in Baja, California, including I did an 18-day, 200-mile solo paddle from, for those who know Baja, California, from Bahia de Los Angeles to the little town of Mulahe, uh, and caught fish, uh, hiked, uh, did a lot of, lot of paddling, and in challenging conditions on that particular adventure. 
Uh, I'm still committed to my goal of trying to climb the 200 highest peaks in Colorado. I'm up to about 40 peaks. Uh, Now, Father Time's gaining on me. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm lucky. I get up every day, make a good cup of coffee and and figure out what I'm going to do. But I spend some of my time staying on top of my physical health, uh, my emotional health. I've taken up uh, meditating. Uh, I'm not very good at it, but uh, it's been wonderful to explore what, what your mind does and doesn't do. Uh, one of my teachers said, you know, you have about 20,000 thoughts a day. And if you had a roommate that talked to you a hundred times a day, you'd tell him or her to be quiet. Uh, so learning to quiet my mind and, and be in the moment, appreciate uh, the fact that I, I'm so fortunate to be alive in the, at this time. So I feel uh, very, very lucky. Uh, and, and I'm living a life that uh, I'm so grateful that I have it right now. Look, um, I think you always in life, if you have the opportunity, have responsibility to dedicate yourself, like my good friend John McCain used to say, to causes greater than your own self-interest. So I serve on five or six boards. I'm on the Giffords board, which is trying to reduce gun violence in the country. I'm on a little board called the Z Foundation, which gives back to the people in Nepal where I spent uh, nine or 10 uh, expeditions in Nepal. The people there are amazing. I'm on the Grand Canyon Trust Board, which works with native communities to protect uh, the environment in the Four Corners region. I'm on the Council for a Livable World, which wants to end uh, the threat of nuclear weapons. Imagine that. Uh, so I I, uh, I do give back in, in, in those regards. Yeah, gosh. I, well, I would say I think we've corralled you. I'm on the executive committee for the Center for Leadership here at the University of Colorado. And I think we have corralled you into being on the board for the Center for Leadership as well. Is that correct? That's correct. And uh, Aaron Ruth and I got together through Outward Bound, which I know we'll talk about during the podcast. And I've always been fascinated by uh, leadership much of my life. I've had the opportunity uh, and the good fortune to be in leadership positions. And uh, the work Aaron's doing to to aggregate and, and integrate and bring together all the various arms of CU that are exploring leadership, whether it's in theory or in classrooms or in experiential settings. And so that's that's also, I've added that to the portfolio of, of groups with whom I'm affiliated. And I, I just, I can't get enough of leadership and, and the, the stories of leadership, the challenges of leadership, the headaches that leadership bring but it's it's uh it, it, it's been a, a moment in time where that that nexus that Aaron and, and I share came came to fruition so yeah I'm, I'm very much involved in this in this new endeavor at CU I, I would say my first thought is I'm jealous I think we all could could be shooting for uh you know living out our lives like you are where are you at now Mark where, where are you living we live just at the mouth of El Dorado Canyon which is one of the country's premier rock climbing destinations I can walk out the door and and any time of day and go for a half an hour to five hour walk. We have bear and deer and fox, wonderful hawks and and, uh, the the natural world's right here. And uh, so, yeah, again, I I, uh, just, I I want to uh, enjoy my life, but also not be solely focused on myself, but focused on, on how I keep paying it forward. And why Colorado? I mean, why? Obviously, we all know why Colorado. Why uh, the University of Colorado Boulder? What are your ties there? And why did you choose to kind of, I mean, you sound like you have a ton of stuff going on that's amazing in your life. Why did you choose to kind of come back, especially now at a very unique time? Students are are not necessarily on campus. Uh, What was the motivating factor for you to work uh, with CU? 
Yeah, I think so much of our, our lives are I've said uh, by our parents and the community in which we grew up. My father was an Arizonan. He grew up in northeastern Arizona, Mormon descendant. My mother was a Coloradan. She grew up in Denver. And my dad happened to play basketball for the Denver Nuggets in the late 40s. There were two basketball leagues back there. There was the NBA, which we still have. And then there was the NBL, the National Basketball League. And in that league, you had the Nuggets and the Minneapolis Lakers and the Fort Wayne Pistons. And he met my mom, and they went back to Arizona. Uh, and I was born there and, and raised in Arizona. My mother had strong ties to Colorado. She was the climber and the equestrian and the pilot, and uh, she was a remarkable woman. She was also kind of a pain in the ass at times. But All the good ones are, right? <laughs> and, uh, and my parents split uh, ways at, at a certain point in life, but they, they remained good friends. And she came back. Colorado. So I was I was always drawn to the mountains. I loved the desert, canyon country, but I was drawn back to Colorado. And her, her presence here as I grew into adult meant I was in and out of Colorado. And it was only natural that I would, uh, particularly once I got really engaged in outdoor education and the Outer Bound movement, that I'd be based here in Colorado because the leading Outer Bound school was here in Colorado. And then, of course, being in Boulder, who wouldn't want to live in Boulder with everything you can do here, including the university and just the intellectual environment there and uh, it's of course one of the key institutions in i would say in the rocky mountain west not just in colorado so i'm I'm biased i'm a buff i didn't go to colorado the university of colorado but i wish i did at some level well we're happy to adopt you uh <laughs> i i always say i bleed black and gold so i'm right there with you i think it's a wonderful uh university and a, and a wonderful place I'm curious about what drew you to um, go into politics. Uh, you know, what what was it that maybe was a catalyst for that? Yeah, if you look at um, my family's history, on both my father's side, which gets more attention than my mother's side, but also on my mother's side, there was just a real uh, commitment to, to public service. In the, you know, I think in the classic Rocky Mountain Western tradition, and it was it was more bipartisan and, and nonpartisan because as people moved out here from Europeans. I think we're all becoming more sensitive to the history of, of these landscapes and the indigenous people that were here. But the Europeans that came to America looking for opportunity, looking for religious freedom, uh, looking for a new way of life uh, that, that was different from feudal Europe, realized, particularly in the Rocky Mountain West, if you didn't work together, Mother Nature was going to kick your ass. Uh, droughts, harsh uh, winters, hot summers, uh, there were a lot of challenges. and. So there was a sense of, again, uh, bringing up politics in, in this podcast, that politics is basically the decisions that communities make as to how to uh, uh, survive and then ultimately thrive. How do you make sure your children have more opportunities or at least equal opportunities that you have? Well, my Uncle Stuart, my father, Mo, they, they both had served in the Congress. They were part of the Kennedy movement. And uh, I spent a few years uh, as a young teenager in Washington, D.C. And there was a lot of excitement, a lot of idealism. Um, but there was also a lot of tragedy. We had the assassinations of the Kennedy brothers and Martin Luther King's assassination, the movements uh, in, in the mid-late 60s, the Vietnam War. But through all of that, I had I had role models, not just my father and my uncle, but Barry Goldwater, of all people, um, Justice Douglas, uh, Shirley Chisholm, the congresswoman from New York who ran for president as a, as a black woman in the early 70s, which was un, unthinkable in some respects. And, and I always I was inspired by what they were doing to move the country forward and to bring more people to the table. 
And so in the back of my mind, I always thought, gosh, it'd be great to serve in public office. I'm not sure I really want to put underway what you have to do to campaign and ask people for their vote and put up with all that. But I thought it'd be really, it'd be really rewarding to serve in public office. Uh, I set that aside, had a whole career for 20 years as an outdoor educator and a climber, kayaker, canyon explorer. And But in my mid-40s, as I realized I needed to be outward bound, that's the concept in outward bound is it's a ship getting ready to leave port to go out on the adventure on the high seas. Uh, that maybe this was was my uh, my next adventure in life was to go into public service. My son said to me recently, he said, "Dad, I, he said I'm not sure I get you." He said, "You you first climb mountains for a living, which is really dangerous, uh, and and then you went into politics, which is maybe even more dangerous, right. uh, at least." <laughs> At least emotionally and intellectually, especially said, nowadays. He said, "In politics, you know, you're on a big high mountain. You got a team. You're trying to reach the summit, but on that mountain, there's another team trying to push you off." And uh, the Scots have a fun saying about climbing, which is, "It's not the falling off that hurts; it's the sudden stop at the bottom." In politics, that can be election day, or it can be a particularly contentious issue. But in sum, I had I had great role models, and uh, I always wanted to live up. To those expectations and, and make my parents proud. And I uh, maybe I'll talk about my mother later, but she had her own incredible public service career, including serving in the Peace Corps in Nepal in her mid-50s. She had to walk three hours to a village and she worked on microloan projects for women in Nepal for four years. At the end of that four-year stint, because she was a pilot and she was an, uh, an instructor, she was assigned to Royal Nepal Airlines to work on some of their training protocols. Uh, so she went from a low tech, live in a village environment for four years. And then her, and then her last year, she worked in the world of aviation uh, and training and, and airfoils and, and how, to, how to run a safe uh, airline operation. Sounds like an amazing woman. Incredible she, woman, yeah. She was incredible. She, she had a healthy skepticism of politics too when she was, uh, on her on her deathbed, and um, and she she and I had one of those conversations, and I asked her if there's anything she regretted about not doing. It. She looked at me and she said, "You know, I really wish I'd been a congressman or a senator." And she totally took me in, and I realized about thirty seconds, and she was completely kidding me. She she loved what I was doing. She worked on my campaign. She supported me, but she had no interest. In, in putting up with a lot of the nonsense you put up with in politics. No, that sarcasm is something I can relate to. That sounds like <laughs> something I would say. <laughs> so you had her support um, going into politics. I'm curious, what would what are you going to say when the first student comes up to you now that you're you're involved over at CU? What are you going to say to them when they say, "Mark, I want to do what you did." I want to become a U.S. senator. I want to go into politics. What's your advice? What are you going to say to them? One of the things I love to do, uh, and, and I'm always open to doing it, I want to make sure that's, that, that offers heard loud and clear on the podcast, is uh, if, if young people, middle-aged people, you name whoever it is, are interested in running for office and serving in those capacities, I'll sit down and spend as much time as that person has advising them, encouraging them, uh, and acknowledging the the legitimacy that, uh, of what they want to do, I get excited about young, particularly young people who want to serve in public office. We need really good, committed people in both parties uh, across the political spectrum uh, to serve. 
it, it, it matters. There's a lot of nonsense, as I alluded to. The system is dysfunctional and not working very well. Uh, but I have a lot of faith in the incoming and uh, new talent uh, that, th that they'll get it right, that they'll keep moving us forward. I, I'm, a, I'm an optimist. I'm a terminal optimist. I'm a total, the glasses have full personality. That's not that I don't have my days where I have to fight that cynic. I tell young people, hey, be skeptical. Hope, hopefully you can fight off becoming a cynic. Uh, because in the end, as I just said, it, it, it does really matter. Leadership matters. Our, uh, we're, we're the kind of decisions we make and the policies we put in place really make a difference. Nationally, our politics and our policymaking, in some cases failing us is dysfunctional, but I see a lot of hope at the state and county and local level because people, it, it's, at some point you can't, elected officials, you can't fall into that trap of being a Democrat or a Republican. You got to make sure the potholes are full, the schools are open, the stoplights are running, the tax revenues are being collected. So that you can you can provide the services that make our communities work. So in some, when somebody comes up to me and wants to run for office, I'm all there with them. Uh, I, I'm going to I'm going to help them. I'm going to advise them. I'm going to also, if not warn them, I'm going to tell them, hey, this is this is going to be a challenge. But if you take the the challenge as an adventure that involves risks, and you're willing to get in the arena, man, I'm all for you. Well, so much to like about that: taking risks, adventure. Getting in the arena, yeah, that, that all resonates with me. Yeah, in many ways, you know, for me, taking physical risks on Everest, which I climbed high on, or Mount McKinley now, we call it Denali after the native name, which I, I, I climbed. Uh, and you really, it's, those are life and death situations. In some ways, though, those are easier for somebody like me, and I think for many of us, to, to, to embrace than the emotional, intellectual and even spiritual risks of getting into the political arena or the, the, the leadership arena in general, whether it's heading a small business or an organization or getting your neighborhood together, the, the, the emotional intellectual risks are just as are equal to the physical risks. And, um, but there are ways to handle those and learn from those and be rewarded through, through being a leader. Yeah, boy, I want to, I want to, I want to come back to that a little bit later on, on what you've learned out in the mountains that, that we can apply to maybe a less extreme environment uh, of leadership. But, but let's stick with this right now for just a second. We're talking about uh, politics, which of course is, is quite a hot button issue right now. And, you know, just doing a little research, I can see that back in July, you know, not too long ago, Gallup reported that 18%, uh, of Americans had an approval um, of Congress. So we know from the statistics, and, and you know maybe we don't uh, believe polls anymore, but for a young person that may see that 18% and say, gosh, it's so dysfunctional, it's so broken, I don't even want to deal with it. I just want to put my head in the sand out of frustration and tune out. What would, what would be your answer to that, Mark? Number one, I totally understand those sentiments and, and those feelings. Uh, number number two, I totally understand if you if you want to step away from or or not be involved in that particular uh, arena. But number three, I say look at the same time. There are plenty of places to make a difference, to volunteer, to in, in your professional life, in, in a corporate or business setting, to exert leadership, to explore leadership, and and to make a difference. And then four, I say, but. Please don't give up on that that world that we're we're both really worried about that world of politics, particularly at the national level, because 
it, it, it does matter. Our, our standing in the world is, is important in an enlightened self-interest kind of way. I'd, I'd urge people and ask people and beg people to revisit thinking about uh, the importance of politics, even if you didn't run for office or even if you didn't want to work on a campaign or be involved uh, in working for a member of Congress or a mayor or a governor. And I know people, we, we, we say this a lot and people maybe get a little hardened to this, but your vote does matter. And uh, the, the, this experiment we're in, this experiment of self-government, it, it needs decent people to, to pay attention. And uh, then I asked people to, to then look at the history of our democracy. And we basically decided the king wasn't going to tell us what to do. We were going to tell ourselves what to do. And, and we knew that, and this is 250 years ago now almost, we, we knew that it was going to be hard. Uh, we, we knew that it was, it was, it was going to ebb and flow. Um, but I'm, I, it brings to mind that old saying that, you know, of all the, all the forms of government, democracy is the worst, <laughs> except for all the other ones. Please find ways to, if not ignore, think at a higher on a higher plane than, than, than some of the political shenanigans and political games that gets get, get played. And then the other thing I'd say is, look, politics are everywhere. They're woven in, in the fabric of our lives. Politics are simply the process of making decisions. You get three people together, you want to go up. Let's see, we're in Colorado. You want to go up and ski this weekend. Okay, where are you going to go? What time are you going to leave? Where are you going to stay? Once you get on the hill, what runs are you all going to do? Are you going to go off separately? How do you keep your team together? I mean, it's a, it's small scale, and it's fortunate that we even have, we have the capacity to make those kinds of decisions. We, we live in an affluent society where our basic needs are generally met. But all of that involves politics. And um, in your workplace, how decisions are made. What's the mission? Who's leading this particular initiative? So our national politics are just a version of that. In some cases, have in many cases, have even higher stakes than what is happening in the workplace or your your day up at Keystone or Loveland. I am really digging how you uh, you can relate everything back to the outdoors. Politics is like skiing. Leadership is about climbing a mountain. So I'm taking us there because I've been chomping at the bit to ask you about some of the the crazy adventures that you've been on in your life. One more comment on politics in that world. I say, you know, you can't smooze your way up a mountain, and you can't you can't trash talk your way up a mountain. So if you bring those kinds of understandings to politics and even to the kind of politics that I was involved in, I think you're going to be successful. And most importantly, you're, you're going to keep your soul and you're going to be doing the right, the right things. And there's a, there are too many people right now that are trash talking and schmoozing their way up the mountain. They're not going to make it up the mountain. The people that actually climb the doggone mountain step at a time with a team, they're the people that are going to be successful. We have talked a lot about the outdoors, and I think there is a lot. Um, I mean, Colorado is a perfect place to put some experiential leadership into effect. I mean, you you were executive director for quite a long time for Outward Bound, which for anybody that's listening that doesn't know what Colorado's Outward Bound is, I mean, this is a leadership-based school that basically puts your classroom in the mountains and in the desert, right? It's not a a university classroom. It's go out and do really hard things and learn what you're made of. What is your metal, right? 
And so I can only imagine you probably have a hundred stories from your time with Outward Bound to include meeting your wife at Outward Bound, which Ron told me about, which is fabulous. That's true, yeah. Talk to us a little bit about how this passion developed and how do you tie it to, I mean, part of being a leader is knowing yourself. What do you personally, when you're out doing those things by yourself, with your wife, with uh, Outward Bound students, how is that forming who you are? Yeah, I, I had the great good fortune to have a mom and, and, and a dad who were outdoor activity oriented. Uh, and again, I think that's back to the Western traditions uh, and, and Western experience that, that uh, our communities and the people that came before us had, including the, including the indigenous people who who preceded us and who were here when we arrived. Um, but I stumbled on, in, in a sense, in my late teens and when I was in college, the uh, world of outward bound. I took an hour bound course in, in college. We, in my college, we had a January where you could go study anything. And, and some of my better off uh, fellow students went to Europe to study the great cathedrals, or they might take an internship. I went to school in the East in New York City with a financial firm. And I got this idea, hey, I want to go out and do a winter skiing course in Colorado for three and a half weeks. I want to live in snow caves. <laughs> and so I went to my college advisor, and of course, a little bit of eye rolling, you know, how are you going to, can we give you credit for that? And I told him I'd write a paper. <laughs> and off I went. And I talked one of my college friends into going and doing it. And what you learn about yourself in those, in those settings is really powerful. And you, you both learn what's strengths you have and uh you you, you dig deep you, you find out you have more in you than you know and you also find out what you, your weaknesses are or where your your lack of patience sits and uh, i was hooked um and it, it brought out a lot of my better qualities i and our bound started in effect because in world war ii the merchant marine fleet was being um harassed uh, and sunk by the Nazi U-boats, and all, all the sailors would go into these open lifeboats for sometimes just a day, sometimes three or four days in the North Sea, really difficult conditions. And an amazing thing was happening. The young men were tending to die in those situations, and the old guys like me were living, and it didn't make any sense because the older men, you think, were physically not quite as strong, and so on and so forth. It turned out the young men hadn't had the kind of experiences to toughen them up, not physically, but mentally, emotionally, uh, and what people found out, and this, this for me, and is infused in all in my leadership uh, philosophy is when you pay attention to other people and you get outside of yourself and you're concerned about them, not only does your team profit and and thrive, but you're more likely to survive yourself if you turn inward and get obsessed with your own physical discomfort and your own worries and fears, which are natural and understandable you're more likely to, to have a downward spiral in your in your commitment, your in your willpower, your strength to stay alive. And so out of the, that, that insight and realization came out, we're bound in a training program for young men, which is now includes young women and people across society. And it, the results were fantastic. Um, and within months, those casualty rates went down dramatically. Uh, and so when the war ended, people people with some foresight said, you know, we're going to need this kind of training and experiences for leaders and for society as much in peacetime as we do in wartime, because our, our lives have become luxurious enough, comfortable enough, we're fluent enough that we, we're going to lose connection with some of that. Terry, you know that from your military 
background and basic training. So many ways our bound is like a basic training experience where people are really challenged, but they come out the other end stronger for it. And that was what was so wonderful about working for our bound, why I'm such a big proponent of leadership training in real situations, was that people came out of it almost without exception, just more full of life, more willing to embrace life as an adventure and more aware of their own capabilities and, and were more committed to being leaders in, in, in all the ways that uh, leadership challenges you. You don't always make the right decision. You don't always take the right route up the mountain. But as long as you're committed to being a leader and learning as much, I learned a lot more from the mountains I didn't climb than the ones I did climb. You can you can teach leadership in the classroom. You can read about leadership, but on the ground experiences like the ones that are bound to offer the military offers, companies uh, and other institutions have gotten on board. That that's where you really you really learn. And and I think every human being has the capability of a leader. I think leaders are made, not born. Some of us maybe have more attributes than we're born that lend themselves to being a leader naturally, initially. But I never met a human being. This was the wonderful thing about our round. Everybody was challenged and given the opportunity to be a leader. Uh, and the classic big high school jock to the five foot three young woman who was quiet uh, they're all given opportunities to lead and everybody has some genius. Everybody has some strengths. And that was, what was wonderful about our band. I guess that's one of my, my messages today is that everybody can be, in, anybody can be a leader. Um, and I hope society and not hope, but society, I believe as we move forward can find more and more ways like CU to promote everybody thinking of themselves as a leader. Uh, you know, for, for people that don't know, I, I run, uh, I'm an ultra runner and, and I've competed in the Leadville 100. I didn't finish, but, uh, I could run at high altitude for a little while. I, I've, I've run 50 miles a couple of times. And I always say that, that I learned a lot about my strengths and weaknesses, like, like you were saying, but, but I think what is surprising and I picked up on this and I think what is surprising to a lot of people is I learned, I learned how to be patient. And, yeah. and, you know, in this world of uh, instant gratification, in this world of uh, distraction and, and, and everything pulling at us, many people that I meet have a hard time focusing and being patient and, and sticking with something over the long haul. So I, that is stuff I've learned out there in the wilderness. And uh, you can't be impatient with, you know, the elements. You know, you're in it and you can you can get upset all you want, but, you know, it's a lot bigger deal that, you, you know, you're not going to force it to change. All of us, we, we want to find excuses. We want to, as you say, be impatient. We want to blame something for the fact we're cold, lost. Yeah, that too. Well, <laughs> wondering why that why we signed up for this. And but in the end, you, you got to buckle down. And, and deal with it. And out of that comes real strength. You know, our band, we, we would have our a version of a marathon at the end of the course, you know, any, anywhere from a 12 to 20 mile run. We had a solo, which is three days alone. Um, and there were, you had a final expedition, like a final exam, where just four of you would have some maps and food. And we'd say, hey, you're at point A. We'll see you at point D in four days. And it's 50 miles from here. Wow. And out of that, I would, I would tell all of our, my students, if you can do this, you can do anything in, in life. Um, you can you can start a business. You can start a family, which is a really scary thing to do. I have two children, and we could talk about that some other time. But you can go into politics. You can and you can embrace those physical challenges that I think make us human and, and are so important to all of us. But out of that, 
that emotional, intellectual, spiritual, and, and physical experience and strength building, you can apply that those experiences to all the adventures that life present. And I can tell you having a family is a huge adventure. Buying a house. <laughs> Some of the things that can seem mundane and, and, and a hassle, if you approach them with a mindset of this is an adventure, there are risks involved, the outcome isn't really isn't totally certain. But that's what life is in the end. Life's an adventure. The outcome's not a given. It, the, there are risks of all kinds. And 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 look, I, I speak in a sense as an affluent white person in, in, in our country today. And there, there are people that maybe can't, that don't have the opportunity to have quite that light of philosophy as I have. But I think there are a lot of people in other parts of the world and, and in our own country who, without knowing it, that's how they're approaching life. Because that, that's, that's what's in front of them. I want to pause right there just for a second and and bring the spotlight to, you know, people ask me, why would you put yourself through those kind of things? And I think this is, this is relevant to you as well, Mark. And you, you touched on it. I always say that there's nothing that I'm going to see at my job. That's going to be as hard as what I've done out there, you know, in, in the mountains. And so once you can test yourself, it's so empowering to say, whatever life's going to throw at me, I'm ready for it because I, I've been there. I've, you know, I've been in the fire and, and I've come out strong. So what a wonderful message. And I'm with you that I think uh, we need more of this where we're, we're getting people out there um, and, and training them in, in real world stuff like this to make them better leaders. Yeah, look, all indigenous cultures, again, I don't want to romanticize indigenous cultures past a certain point. Or I spent a lot of time in Southeast Utah where there were thriving communities there a thousand years ago, and they had a lot of challenges and they may have overrun their resource allocation, like we're, some of the challenges we face today. But they had rites of passage for men and women. They had ways in which the, the young people were empowered and and fully engaged in society. And we, we I think in this modern time, the, there's a failure to do that across across the board for any number of reasons. But what CU is doing is really important in that, in that regard because we want people to feel in control of their own lives to understand themselves. Uh, and again, my philosophy of life is that it's, that it's an adventure. And when, when you realize that and accept it and absorb it, and, and then revel in it, um, I, you, you have the potential to have a really rich, rewarding life. And it's a it's a matter of survival and what you can survive. In fact, Ron and I, uh, on our other podcast, Forging Metal, uh, we were really lucky to talk to um, Lawrence Gonzalez, who's the author of Deep Survival, Who Lives, Who Dies, and Why. I don't know if you know that book. No, but I, I will now. It's, yeah, it's, it's fabulous. It's a great book. It was a great interview with him. And um it's, uh, you know, what we can survive, I think, really um, is a testament to what we can handle on a daily basis. And we're going through this right now. And, you know, we talk to students, Ron and I both, we talk to a lot of students constantly about uh, going through this situation of this pandemic, and then everything else that's going on in the world on top of that. And students are having a really hard time being isolated oh, yeah. and not being at school. So my my final question to you is based on, you know, we're going through a tough thing. Students are going through a tough thing. Communities are going through something very difficult together. What do you see the future, the frontier of being a leader and making it through and surviving what we're going through? What do you see the future for looking sure. like for these students? What's your advice for them? 
so the people don't think somehow I have a, I had it all dialed in when I when I ran for office the first time. Here I'd climbed the third highest mountain in the world, been high on Everest, walked a thousand miles across Utah, sea kayak great distances. I went out to start knocking on doors, which is a key approach you take when you first run for office. You got people have to get to know you. And uh, the first day, day I went out to do it, I had my clipboard and all my names. I was so scared. I sat in my car until the sun went down and I drove, mm. I came home and I got so mad at myself. I'm thinking, well, you thought you were a big shot. And you've had this all figured out. You can't even go knock on doors. So I went out early enough the next day during the summer that I, I would have roasted in my car. <laughs> and I went to the first house. I knew the man. He wasn't there. I left a little note classically on the walking card he carried. And then the second house I went to, a man came to the door and I, I'm thinking to myself, damn, I know this man. I think he's an important Democrat. And do I confess or do I bluff? So I confessed. I chose that path. And I said, sir, you know, I know you're really involved in the Democratic Party. Forgive me. I run it and, and I want to work with you and so on. He, he looked at me and said, Mark, he said, he said, don't worry about it. I'm actually the weatherman on Channel 4. And it turned out a man by the name of Glenn Gerber, who lived here in Boulder County. And we had a big laugh over it. And then I suddenly thought, man, this is going to be interesting. This is going to be fun. Yeah, some people are going to yell at me and some people are going to stick their dog on me. And and uh, I'm going to say dumb things, but this is an adventure. And uh, off I went and I knocked on 8,000 doors and won that election. And so, you, you know, it isn't all smooth sailing is the point I'm trying to make. But if, again, if you can find that, boy, this I'm scared. That's a good thing because I, I know this is a risk. I know this is an adventure. Finding that's that sweet spot. And I don't find it every day. And uh, I've backed away as, as much as I've, I've gone forward. But but seeing that um, and understanding that, having that philosophy has really been at the core of my life. So thanks for indulging me. But let me go to your question. You know, I think the lead, the, the need for leadership is only going to increase in, in this more complicated and challenging world that we're in. I do think the basics aren't going to change, that leaders have to be physically present and, and connected emotionally and in, in, intellectually. Um, I think leaders are going to have to really embrace the concept of leadership and wanting to be a leader and, and being passionate about it and understanding you're going to make mistakes and that you're going to go down to cul-de-sacs, but that that, that passion will carry you uh, a long way. We talked earlier, I do think there was this concept and I think it's still around probably in a more sophisticated way it's it's presented but leaders need what I used to call high touch and high tech skills but I think leaders today are going to need even more understanding of technology and the ways particularly ways in which we communicate because above all a leader has to communicate in unspoken and in spoken ways I think we we have to do more research and have more programs and and Hopefully all that leads to a societal mindset that endorses and respects and encourages uh, leadership. Because I, I think all of us have to, and particularly our younger generation, we, we need them to lead. And then finally, we what, what CU is doing is just at the center of this. Institutions in our society uh, can, can do much more, I think, to encourage and train and respect uh, people who want to be leaders and, uh, and and find ways in which that can happen. And then finally, I, I think more and more programs that are experiential, where, where people are really given an opportunity to 
make decisions because in key part of being a leader at some point you got to make decisions you know you have to say this is where we're going i listened i learned i was curious but this is the direction we're going and i i often uh see leaders who don't want to make decisions they want to grapple with it and think about it and there's that old you know there are plenty of adages and truisms but that old adage about to not decide is to decide uh i found over time that in the end often making the decision, giving people a sense of where you were going that was concrete was was as important as what the decision actually was, if that makes sense. So I have a huge amount of empathy for what our young people face, but I also I have an equal amount of uh, uh, belief in them that they're going to, this next generation and generations, they're going to keep the country moving forward. We're just at a point right now that there's so many challenges and so much input so much information that we're trying to reset everything. The young people I interact with, I've got a ton of faith in them. I really do. I would say you could join the club with me and Tara. Uh, we agree with you. And, and I would say let's all lock arms and, and uh, help to, uh, I don't know, develop those, those leaders of the future. Thank you for your time, Mark. Uh, we appreciate the conversation. Thanks for spending your valuable time with us this week. If you enjoyed today's topics, please leave us a review. This will help us reach new listeners who can benefit from these conversations. We'll see you next time.